0: I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the 23rd chapter of Psalm. It's a little-known psalm. Some of you may have heard it. We're just going to read it from a, a few verses of this passage today. Just over the last month or so, just picking up this, this growing feeling of anxiety, of unease, burdens, not everybody but, you know some of you are just doing great you're, you're happy as a lark and, and uh, I would invite you to just come on and grab the mic and tell us how do you do it uh, but for many of us there is this 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 feeling of heaviness and and so as I was just kind of praying through these things over the weeks and the Lord just kind of I felt like leading me to some of these some stories in the Old Testament and not really even sure how these connect all the way. And then these blobs and points. And it's like the more I just stood back, I realized what God is after here. And so we've kind of like done a switch on the fly here. So we're we starting a series that was not planned, but I think it is timely and it's for us. Soul care. Psalm 23, maybe the most well-known chapter in the evangelical world, I would think. It starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God refreshes my soul. Today, I want to reflect on these ideas. God leads me beside quiet waters. God refreshes my soul. Here's here's the word for waters. It's mayim in the Hebrew. And quiet is this word manucha. Some of your Bibles, if you're reading, might say still waters. That was uh, a the common way to put it. That word manucha means it means peace and stillness, serenity, harmony. There's this fascinating ancient rabbinical commentary I came across that, that where they say that on the seventh day, God created Manucha. He created this peace, stillness, rest. And it's interesting because because what the uh, the insinuation is, is that that actually had to be created. Peace had to be created. Uh, according to the Jewish understanding of the cosmos, if you dig into it, the natural state of things before God intervenes is chaos. The natural state of things is, is chaos. It's turbulence, something that is obvious to anybody who's ever raised children. <laughs> Just leave it alone for an hour and it's chaos, right? So, so peace doesn't come naturally. The natural state of things isn't nothingness. It's turbulence. So, peace has to be enforced. It has to be created. It's divine. It's a thing you enter and possess. So, the psalmist says, he leads me besides peaceful, still, serene, harmonious waters. It's a peace that God has imposed on the situation. Now, Let's travel back in time 3,000 years. If you're a shepherd in the Judean wilderness, still waters is a precious commodity. Uh, Because remember, in the wilderness, it's very dry there. It doesn't rain very much, so it's hot. It's usually hot and dry. The ground is rock hard. And so if it does rain a little bit, the water quickly evaporates. And so your experience every day, day to day, would be in most places, everything's just dirty, rocky, hard and if it did rain a lot, on the occasion, it rains a whole lot, let's say on some distant mountaintop. It might be, the ground is so hard, what does it produce? A fa- flash flood, right? We, we see these sometimes in the American Southwest. So these flash floods, so you could be 10 miles away and all of a sudden come rushing down the mountain are these floods, this racing torrent. So several, uh, I, was, uh, I was just looking back at the news several years ago in the uh, Qumran region where David would have been wandering the same region today. Just a, it was about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, there was a rain, and it it created this 70-foot wall of water that came down the mountain, and uh, it, it was devastating. Sure, if you're in the wilderness, you either have no water, or you have rapid waters that'll just take out your whole flock. And so that ma'im manucha, the still water. A spring or a fresh source and that is a beautiful thing to find and of course if you're a shepherd you know where the good places are you've learned where to take your your sheep a good shepherd doesn't lead me beside water that's rushing I can't even drink from that water it'll just threaten to to drown me God wants to lead us to a place of refreshment how many of you could use that right now am I the only one (laughs) amen if you were to describe your emotions today Your thoughts, the conditions in your mind, those voices in your head. If you were to describe the state of your soul today, would you describe it as still water? Would it be a little sloshy? A little bubbling brook, right? Or does it feel kind of like you're just riding an avalanche down a mountain some days, right? Now, notice what he does. He then connects the still waters with the state of his soul. I want to peer into this. Notice the word for refreshes my soul. The word shuv. It's a really common word in the Old Testament, super common. It means restore, refresh, revive. Actually, the word for repent, teshuva, involves this, which simply means to return or, or to turn. And so the idea of repent in the Scriptures is to turn away, literally to return home. Repenting is like returning home to God. Over a thousand times, uh, you find this word 71 times in the Psalms alone. A very, very common word, shuv. God restores, he refreshes, he revives, he returns us. And so the word soul, then, this is a cool word. This is the word nefesh. Let me see here, you say nefesh. Nefesh. Nefesh is a very interesting word. Uh, It means, it can refer to Life. It can refer to a person or a creature uh, or to one's soul, the nafesh. The root of this word comes from this ancient, ancient, ancient Hebrew word, which means to breathe. Just to breathe. It's something because a nafesh in the scriptures was anything that was capable of breath. In Genesis 1, you have let every creature, and then it says, that has breath. That it's it's that ability to inhale and exhale. Uh, the physical act of just it's what makes you unique it's what makes you a nefesh type creature a soulish creature as opposed to the other parts of creation like rocks and hills and seas and things like that so if you're going to look at this maybe another way to translate this you could say God restores my soul he refreshes my life God shoves me to my nefesh if someone asks you later today, what would y'all learn in church? Well, God shoves me to my nefesh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he revives my humanity. Is there anybody here today who feels stretched a little thin? Right? Like, like butter scraped across too much bread. <laughs> Amen. How many of you are just... E- <laughs> Life just feels like a slog sometimes, like daily, day after day. You feel like you're just trapped in this thankless cycle of do more, do more, do more, right? It's just every day is one more round of diapers, one more round of folding the laundry, one more round packing lunches, right? And what God does is restore us to our humanity. Our humanity. It's what the, uh, the God, let me show you here, the uh, fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day, what the fourth commandment is all about. We've talked about this before, so I won't go all into it, but God's gift of the Sabbath to his people is a commandment and a gift, right? And it was to remind them and us that you are more than what you produce. That's not your identity. Your worth, your identity rests in just belonging to me. That's what God communicates to us. So when you feel like you you can't catch your breath and and maybe if I were if you and I were sitting around speaking Hebrew to one another in 1000 BC we might even say it like this God returns me to my breath he gives me my breath back Now for the psalmist the state of his soul his insides is Inextricably bound to his outsides. It, it's about being a whole being. The, the psalmist, when you read the, the Old Testament, he doesn't see himself as the sort of schizophrenic thing that, like, with separate personalities at war with each other, right? Uh, the, the natural things that he talks about, like, just blend seamlessly with, with the supernatural things in his life. And so, in the Jewish understanding, the human being. The mind, body, spirit, soul, fingers, toes, heart, mind, spirit, body, all those things are an integrated being. The human being is an integrated being. And what happens to the spirit or what happens to the body affects the other. And so the nafesh that means soul, yeah, but it also means breathing. Nefesh is breathing. So, is he talking about some kind of a mystical spiritual thing here or is he just is it just as natural as God gives me my breath? The psalmist would say, yeah. Yeah, God is the source of his breath and his life. And so, you know, in some circles Christian theological whatever circles there's a lot of debates today about what you know what's the nature of our soul what how are we made up are we a am I a spirit who like has a mind and I live inside a body or am I a body and a spirit or my two-part three-part and and those and and those are interesting uh, arguments but they can miss the point the point because what scripture reveals to us over and over is that we are integrated beings we're integrated beings. What affects one part of us? Yes, you have a spirit. What affects one part of us affects the other. So what's happening in my spirit affects my mind and my behavior, even my health, right? And vice versa. I'm called to renew my mind. It, what, you know, when when God renews me on the inside, it should affect my behavior. It should affect all of me. And so even even science today, it's interesting, is like discovering this to be an absolutely fundamental truth about humanity, that we are integrated beings. And so we can do ourselves a lot of damage, actually, by trying to get so deep into the woods, you know, about body, soul, mind, spirit thing, that we we, we try to separate who we are, or separate our physical self from our our spiritual self, like these two independent entities. Well, first of all, it's heresy. It's the definition of Gnosticism. Um, but it also, will, it also turns us into these sort of fractured, hypocritical, confused, stressed out creatures. And that isn't what God wants for us. When you are saved, when you and I come to the Lord and we give our life to him. And he makes us into a new creation. He does not set you free from your physical self. I want you to get this. Rather, he restores you to your original design. He reunifies you. Right? The real you. He reconnects your spirit to your fractured physical self for the first time. Once what, once what was, once, uh, you know, a schism is now united. Is now made whole. We are made whole in salvation. To be a new creation of God's kingdom is not to be less human, but more fully human, really, than you ever were before, as God always intended. So, whether we're, it, 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 it's to come to a place where you are free from the bondage of sin, where every aspect of your life is connected to Him, and we are no more—we're no more this fractured being, searching for our identity. We are whole. So when God is your shepherd, what does it say he does? Well, he says you lack nothing. We're whole. We have everything. So we might summarize the psalm like this. God gives life to all of me. He brings me back to life. He brings my breath back to me, but he gives life to all of me, body and soul. I want to talk about this in practical terms for a couple minutes. Back to this idea of breathing. I was reading that most people, uh, the average American, breathes roughly 16 to 20 times a minute. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I consulted an expert named Go Ogle. (laughs) And it's just this fount of knowledge. 16 to 20 times a minute is the average American. That's how, how much we breathe. That's, that's pretty fast, actually. Experts tell us the optimal breathing rate <clears throat> for the human body is six breaths a minute. That's one breath every 10 seconds. Some of you are hyperventilating just thinking about breathing that slow, right? That's how your body is made to functionally, function ideally. Now imagine the state of peace you'd have to be in to instead of, <sighs> which is, that's American, <laughs> that's us, to going (sighs) that's six breaths a minute right imagine the state of peace that's, that's not easy to do, especially for us average Americans when, you know, we're sitting there panting like a dog while we eating chicken wings watching TV, right? I mean, what the psalmist knows here is that breathing is not just a physical act, though. It is a spiritual one, and it reflects the state of our soul, our nefesh. And so even the word, interestingly, the word for how the psalmist arrived at the knowledge of this, we'd say he was inspired, which literally means to fill with breath. Breath of life of God. Now, think about another word scriptures use that reveal kind of this integrated being heart, right? Heart. Was he talking about your heart or your heart, right? If we had a heart monitor up here and it hooked me all up uh, to all the little nodes and electrodes, something we would discover really quickly is that my breathing, whether I'm (laughs) panting like a dog or breathing slowly has an almost instant, instant effect on not just my O2 intake, but my heart rate, right? Isn't that interesting? When I go to my family doctor and he wants to take my Pulse, he doesn't tell me. Now, Scott, I want you to slow your heart. What does he tell me? Slow your breathing, take a deep breath, right? Why? Because my breathing affects my heart rate. And it's also all affected by everything happening on the outside of me, on the outside world, whether, whether I'm feeling fearful of the news or I'm getting stressed out by my kids doing their homework or not, you know, or petting my dog while he, his little head sleeps on my lap, you know, or something like that. All that has an instant effect on my heart rate. Isn't that Interesting. How many of you, when you find yourself in some moment of of like serious anxiety, whether it's something real or it's just something that's kind of happening inside you, whatever it is, those waters are churning, the flash flood of worry and and stress is, you know, it's on the way. You can hear it coming down the mountain. If we were to monitor you, your heart and your breathing would probably be all out of whack, right? Right? Some of us, just our everyday life walking around, if we were to monitor you, it'd look like a drunken sketch right? It'd just be all over the place, because that's just like life. How many of you, when you're in those, those times of anxiety, what do you tell yourself? Just breathe, just breathe. Or if you're in an argument with somebody, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Why? It has an instant effect on us, because we're integrated beings. Those moments when you look up at a beautiful sky, and you're like, oh, it just took my breath away, right? And the beauty of that just sort of puts you in a calm state. That's your heart, by the way, telling you, we like this. Give us more of this. Yeah. And some of us, we would love, we read these scriptures like, that sounds really nice. I mean, I would love for my soul to be restored and to feel like I'm just by this little babbling brook. But if we're honest, we're not doing ourselves any favors. Because we're like, well, I went to church. I'm a Christian. I went to church on Sunday you know, before I got up on Monday and screamed to my kids and wolfed down a Twinkie when I ran out the door and sat in traffic for an hour, listening to pinheads on my podcast talk about who's really at fault in the Middle East and who's, you know, making the polar ice caps melt and all this kind of thing. Who's, you know, all this is happening. I'm a Christian. Why am I stressed out? But what that does is it actually denies the reality of how we're designed, of how your God designed you, right? To think that we don't need to make any space for God in the moment-by-moment routines of our life. And the psalmist says, still waters. Oh, yes, that is exactly what it's like when I stop and I take time with God so he can return me to my breathing, return me to my humanity. Are you with me? Amen. It's interesting what you see across our society right now, for years now, for years is that people are beginning to tap into this. Even people who aren't religious in any way will flock together every morning at a park near my house simply to stand and stretch and breathe together. Right. Are they being silly? No. They're trying to tap into the very thing that David knows 3,000 years ago, that if you don't take a breath if you don't unplug and decompress now and then, you are going to die. And no amount of like faith-filled willpower will keep your hearts and lungs from rebelling against what we are doing to them. Because we're integrated beings. We're integrated beings. When we abuse our bodies, I'm talking to myself, when I abuse my body diet and stress and exercise and all this sort of thing, and then I neglect actual... Physical time with God during our day because I think, well, that's the spiritual stuff and this is the physical stuff, right? The physical stuff's over here and that's the day to day and the kids and the craziness and the going to the lake and all this kind of stuff and, you know, having fun and tacos. And over here is the spiritual stuff I'll devote for a few minutes to God over here. But it's all connected. And so we begin with God wants to revive my humanity. He wants to restore my soul if I will just. Unplug long enough to allow him. Over in First Kings nineteen, uh, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament—he's kind of the rock star in the hall of fame of prophets—is Elijah. Just one of Israel's greatest holy men. He, uh, the story, I won't go all into it for time's sake, but he had this showdown with uh, like 450 prophets of Baal. Some of you know the story. Uh, this huge public thing. And like all the public came out to watch. It was like the Super Bowl. And they all came to watch and cheer their side on. And there was basically, cut to the chase, a huge miracle Big miracle witnessed by everybody. Fire falls from heaven. The people like turn against all the pagan prophets and eradicate every one of them. And Elijah has this full-blown meltdown, right? I mean, looking at it kind of from modern eyes, this is pretty textbook panic attack, right? He has a total emotional breakdown, a depressive episode, whatever you want to call it. But he runs in this, in this time of like ultimate victory All of a sudden, he runs for miles and miles. And it says that he finds himself in a cave. And you just picture Elijah. poor I I can identify. He's just like whimpering in the fetal position in this cave. And feeling complete fear and stress. And he's just out of his mind with hopelessness. And God shows up. And there's this beautiful scene where God shows up and he does something. God is just, he's the ultimate divine therapist. He knows exactly what to do. For Elijah. He does two things that I, I was reading the story again. I noticed there's two things Elijah does that's so good. Number one, he gets Elijah to walk out of the cave, gain some new perspective, walk out of the cave. Just come on, come on, all right, just come out of the cave. And I could picture Elijah still like he's still not doing good. But he, he comes out of the cave. So there's a new perspective. And then if you know the story, there's this impressive demonstration that God does with fire and earthquakes and wind and all this sort of thing. But it's to show that he's, that's that's not the solution here. What God does then is quiet all the noise and he whispers. And this this phrase in some of your Bibles says still small voice. And it literally means a thin whisper. Just the thinnest whisper. <laughs> and what does that do? It requires Elijah to lean into the silence, rediscover where God resides, the good shepherd that leads you by still waters, he, he, the, the quiet there, those moments where relationship happens. For Elijah, in this case, revival didn't come with singing and shouting and dancing. It came in waiting on the gentle whisper of God. Over in Psalm 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. David is writing this at a time in his life when he's hiding in caves and they're hunting him down to be murdered. You know, Saul's trying to murder him. And and this is what the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. God's invitation to the wounded here today, to the, the unrestful soul is simply... Trust me. Trust me. Know that I am God. There's this other famous exercise by some of the old theologians. I love. I came across it years ago, and I still love it. It, it, That a way to contemplate this sentence by removing one word at a time. You say, "Be still and know that I am God." Be still and know that I am God. Exists. He's present, be still and know. Have faith, trust, renew your mind in this reassurance. Be still, be still. In my prayer time, when I'm having my personal prayer time with God, I call this my shut up now, Scott, and listen to God time, right? Cause I got all these things to say. And I have to remind myself, okay, time to shut up. Be still. If you have found yourself lately on a a merry-go-round of anxiety, and you have this sense of, this is not sustainable. I cannot keep this up. I'm like redlining. I don't really know what to do to fix it. I want to invite you to consider the psalmist. Take time to stop. Take a breath, which is a gift from the Lord. Your very breath in your lungs is a gift from the Lord. And be aware in that moment that the, the, the Lord your God isn't just with you. He is in filling you with his spirit. And when you do that, you're doing one of the, if not the most powerful things you can possibly do. Isaiah 30. He says, in repentance... Repentance, that's that teshuva, returning home. And repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust will be your strength. How many of us need to be reminded today? These turbulent waters that I am in, they are not who you are. They're not you, right? They're not the permanent state of things. This is a season, this problem, this person is not forever, right? Maybe they'll move away. Who knows? That was a joke. It, over in Isaiah 43, God says to the prophet, let's see here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. So everything you're enduring, right? Right? Everything that you're enduring right now, that you must endure, God says, I am here with you. And in my presence, you will find still waters. And those waters will refresh you instead of drowning you. Amen. Amen, Amen, Sister Sharon. Before we close, let's look at how the first Christians talked about this. Because right? we want to bring this to Jesus, the first Christians in the New Testament, Galatians two twenty says, "I." There's one example of how they talked about it. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So, for those of you here, my brothers and sisters, who we we have we've said yes to Jesus, for us there is a new reality. There just is a new reality where the old you. That would have been like offended by other people like and just made you lose your mind. The part of you that would have been angered and agitated and it would have just sent you into a rage that consumed you. You remember that person? Remember yesterday? <laughs> that, that stress and that anger that would have defined you. I, I am this person. I am this. Right. That you, according to the scripture, has been swallowed up right? It's been washed away. A new identity has taken its place. The true self, the true us, this integrated being. And yeah, we might still be angered by things. Sure, agitated by things, disappointed by people. They're going to let us down. We're going to be grieved by horrible events that happen. But I no longer have to own the anxiety of that situation. I don't have to own that because my Christ has invited me, commanded in fact, that I choose trust over worry to lay my burdens at his feet and embrace his yoke, his burden, which he says is light and easy because you belong to Christ. Are you with me? We belong to Christ. And so, okay, so there's this problem. Yeah, I don't have to ignore it. I can work toward its solution. I can pay attention to it. I can work to resolve it. I can respond in compassion toward the people who are involved in the hurting people, but I am no longer confused about whether this thing is me. I love what, what dad said just a few minutes ago, right? You don't own the problems of the world. They're not yours to solve, right? You can't. Right? So we we lay those at the feet of the only one who can solve those things. Because I have an identity. I have a reality, and that is eternal, and I am no longer homeless. I have a shepherd. I'm not just a wandering sheep trying to take care of myself. I have a good shepherd who is relentlessly devoted to my soul. That means I also don't have to run away to find what I need, to find the peace that I need, because everything I need is right here. In this story, Elijah ran a hundred miles to a cave to discover that everything he needed was right in front of him the whole time in the form of quiet intimacy with the God who loves us more than we can imagine. That's right there. So in a minute, we're going to take communion together. So if you have the elements, you can be getting those ready. And uh, if you don't, there's some on the table's in the back there, there, and back there. If you're watching by live stream, we invite you to take this with us right there at home. And so, this is more than just a a little ritual that we do. Today, I invite you, as we take these elements, I want to invite you not just to, you know, nibble on the cracker and sip the juice and you know, think a nice thought. I want you to breathe, to know that God is. First and foremost, He is. We can rest assured of that. And that Christ is present with us right now. Is Christ this little cracker? No, but He is right here present with us. He is right here present. Even in this act that we do Is this just a physical thing or a spiritual thing? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what some of us need to do as we take this communion is is allow God to fill us, to fill our lungs, to restore our soul, and and to refresh us, to fill us anew with His Spirit, right? We need to be baptized in the Spirit, and that's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a be filled once, it's a be being filled being filled over and over and over again because it's his spirit that is the source of true life. You have been you who have been weary and stressed and heavy laden. Jesus invites you today into that stillness. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we invite you, Lord, into these turbulent waters, We invite you now into the ways in which we've been, (laughs) all those those stresses have been spilling over the top of the cup. And we invite you, Lord God, into our worries and our anxieties and our burdens that are not for us to carry. We acknowledge a true self, the us that has been crucified with Christ and who lives resurrected with Christ. We ask you, Lord, to meet us in this space and this calm Calm these waters that need calming. The Mayim Manuha, Lord God. Lead us by those waters. The still, serene, peaceful place. That's what we long for our soul to be. The state of shalom. a state of reconciliation with you, God, that we long for. We invite you into the space of our everyday lives and to turn it sacred, Lord. And so as we prepare, Lord, to take this bread and to take this cup, We repent of all the ways, Lord, that we have played God, that we took on the burdens of life by ourselves. We repent. We return home to you, the good shepherd. We are grateful for your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, as we eat the bread, we drink the juice we also breathe out all of our worries and our burdens that we've been grasping onto. And we lay those at your feet, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for the unimaginable act of love on the cross that sets us free and fills us with hope. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, everybody said, amen. The body of Christ broken for you. the blood of Christ shed for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you. Our prayer partners are coming forward now. And if you're here today and you need someone to just agree with you that that peace is yours, you're a, you're a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He has you in the palm of his hand, but you need that peace. Let them pray with you. Whatever else is going on in your life that you need prayer and agreement for, come forward. Let them pray with you about anything. If you want to say yes to Jesus today and experience the Good Shepherd in your life, if you're tired of wandering around and trying to do it on your own and finding all the good water by yourself and you're ready, for a shepherd to lead you by those waters, you can say yes to Jesus today. Come forward and let them pray with you. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? All my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. And may you walk this week in his grace and his peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Bye-bye.